Welcome to Answer the Call. I'm your host and go-to career coach, Kelsey Kemp. You're tuning into the Job Library series, which is a bingeable collection of interviews with professionals from a vast variety of industries to help you gain the exposure and insider info you need to find a career path that you'll love. If you're excited to live vicariously through people with super cool jobs, maybe even some you've never heard of, then you're in the right place. If you're looking for step-by-step guidance on how you can identify your unique calling and actually land a job that pays you to fulfill it, then go have a blast scrolling through the nearly 50 other episodes of Answer the Call waiting for you below this series. In this episode, though, you'll be hearing from Chesley McCarty, an absolutely fascinating creative thinker, mover, and shaker working in Washington, D.C. as a real estate and retail design strategist, working at StreetSense, an experience-focused strategy and design collective creating cutting-edge brands in places in the real estate, retail, and hospitality industries. And that, by the way, is only what Chesley does by day. I know you'll be just as inspired and impressed as I was when she shares about the plethora of creative side hustles she also nurtures by night. Y'all, I had little to no exposure to the world of architecture and design, so I was fascinated by Chesley's insight into the difference between architecture, engineering, and design, and also how you could get really creative with your career after studying architecture in undergrad or in a master's program if that's something you decide you're interested in. So whether you're just looking for some career inspo in the wisdom and the stories that Chesley has to share from getting creative and really bold with her career, or if you're serious about pursuing a career in architecture or design strategy and want to learn more, you, I know for sure, will be enthralled by this conversation with Chesley. I hope you enjoy. Chesley, I am so excited to have you here, especially not as just someone who has a very specific role that you could educate us on, but also just educate and inspire those who definitely can, if they feel called to it, be more creative with the education that they got and do something more with it to just, I don't know, encompass who you are as well. So I am very, very excited to get into it with you. So first, I feel it's best to actually kick it off with you describing your career path and all the really creative side hustles that you also have. Yeah, sounds good. Well, thank you for having me. I have been working for three years in DC, so not for super long, but I started with a job in design strategy back at a firm called Gensler. And I was there for about two years after graduating from architecture school at Tulane in New Orleans. And then I started at Street Sense this past, it'll be a year in July. And I started there as a real estate strategist. And I'll go into a little bit more detail as to what that means, real estate and retail strategist. But on the side, I moonlight, as they say, in a bunch of different things. So I do Informally, I probably, people would say I do photography and, you know, I offer that as a product for people. I do product photography and portrait photography. A lot of people would tell you that I just take photos of row homes all the time for my Instagram, The Tangled Tomato. But Which I, I also, love. <laughs> thank you. I also, though, am kind of developing an offering called the Saturday Guild, which is just a, a social and supper club of sorts because I love hosting and entertaining and the purpose of that is to really highlight 
architectural spaces in DC and design culture and culinary stories. And as of just two weeks ago, I started developing a little offering for micro weddings and elopements and bespoke events of the marriage type. So I'm looking cool. to help with that as well. So I stay busy. I also farm, do some like little gardening. I've worked on farms and I love flowers. So I kind of do everything. <laughs> yeah, it definitely sounds like it. I wish the listeners could see my face. Well, maybe not because it kind of just looks dumb, like <laughs> full on smile from ear to ear. I just am so amazed by all the things that you keep up and how you in my mind, really just diligently create. Because to me, as someone who also relates to being creative, it's really easy to come up with a ton of ideas, but to actually make them happen is a whole nother thing. So I really admire that about you, that it seems like you've really gotten a start in all these things. And also the whole micro weddings bit. Yeah. I just, can I just like <laughs> sit on that for like a nanosecond? Yeah. That, did that come up because of quarantine? Or is that really a trend that's happening? Like just having a lot smaller... Yeah, well, I do think that before quarantine, a lot of brides were looking into micro weddings because weddings have gotten so expensive and there's just really unrealistic expectations placed on them. So there are many proof points for micro weddings and mini monies, as they call them. But I think during (gasps) quarantine, yeah, (laughs) it's very cute. But it's interesting because it's definitely, I mean, this is a conversation for another moment, but it's, it's totally a gap in the market. And I think that that as you'll see in our conversation today, like that's just really how my mind works. That's what the mind of a strategist needs to be is you see a problem, you see a creative problem and you come up with a creative solution. And I think I'm just always, I'm also working on an app. I haven't looked at that in a while. There's just like always something. I actually picture my life as sort of a stovetop in a way. So I always have, you know, some things that I'm prepping and I'm cutting and I'm dicing, but then there's you know, all five burners are always going to be on, depending on the range that we're looking at. Mm-hmm. And then one's going to be up really high and one's going to be simmering on the back burner. So That's always really rotating through a bunch of different projects. <laughs> <laughs> when you said a five burner, I was like, no, no. I initially was like, this is industrial kitchen size yeah. for sure. Like <laughs> this is a full staff. Eight to ten. <laughs> Eight to ten. Um, so you mentioned your educational start was in architecture you studied that at Tulane so what made you interested in getting into that profession and while starting off with that degree yeah so I really had no idea what I was getting myself into when I signed up for architecture school but I guess it was just something that I had identified you know in high school is that's what I want to study that's what I'm going to apply for because that's kind of what the process looks like when you're in high school which in retrospect is just horribly daunting and I think sets up a lot of people for confusion and an identity crisis but I you know started in architecture school and I loved it I mean a lot of people drop out I think we started with 100 and we ended up with 30 by our fifth year wait why why is that it's like pretty normal it's just a very It's a really intense degree. I mean, there are a lot of all-nighters and late nights. And it's also just very different from anything that most people are taught how to study. It's both an analytical or sort of a quantitative and a qualitative environment. And you don't really get exposure to that in high school and no leading up to college. So I was in architecture school in New Orleans. And I'd say what was really different about my experience there is that I was also, I worked in the admissions office as an admissions intern, and I was involved in student government. 
and I took a lot of classes outside of the architecture school. So I just had a really well-rounded education at Tulane, and that's not that that's an ad for Tulane, but it did kind of point my North Star towards something that was more in the consulting realm. And I think we'll get into this in a little bit more detail, but you know, when I was in thesis, that's when I really pivoted from the traditional architecture world thinking I was going to be an architect into more of the design strategy, design consulting, consulting, storytelling sort of space. So loved architecture school, super intense degree, stick with it if you're still in it, but also I think recognizing and celebrating that you can do so much with an architecture degree that you're really set up for success to be a problem solver in a way that not many other programs can position you to be that strong of a problem solver. Yeah. Wow. I'm so grateful to have exposure to this because honestly, I don't have any friends that went to architecture school or currently work in the field, which I'm assuming seeing that it's so rigorous, it is a prerequisite. You don't just find yourself in architecture, I'm assuming. Correct. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I really haven't had any exposure to this. So at risk of a embarrassment to myself, I actually would love to ask this question that has popped up in my yeah. mind. What the heck is the difference between... I don't know, even like construction versus engineering versus architecture. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's a, a good reminder to kind of talk about too the difference between consulting and architecture and how yeah, let's just that do line is not discussed, but is one that I totally, totally followed. So yeah, as a part of the building process, you know, you have the person who designs the building, which is the architect, they sort of create, if we're looking at, you know, a big commercial office building, you need the architect to figure out what does it look like? Like, what is the public space like? They might work with a landscape designer and a landscape architect to figure out what type of plants should be in the public space. I don't know why I chose commercial office because I work, you know, exclusively with, exclusively with retail right now. But, and then they would work with an engineer to figure out how does the building is it structurally sound what do we do to make it structurally sound and then within the engineering there's a bunch of different you know specialties and sub consultants and then within architecture itself you design the outside of the building but you also have the inside of the building and so you might have a bunch of different firms involved on one project one to do core and shell which is the outside and then one to do the interiors which is the very different from interior um, design that's called interior architecture when you're designing the walls to go inside of the building itself and then ultimately you have the you know the stylist and the decorators who come in and kind of add those final touches so that's the realm of architecture yeah and then I just like recap if if that's okay just to make yeah. sure I understand is it accurate to say that architects will design the shape, feel, look of the building, I mean, barring the design elements that are detailed, like yeah. color, carpet, whatever, um, that would be up to a designer. But is it fair to say the architects are saying, this is what we want the structure to look like, and engineers come in and say, this is what would make it structurally, like, certified, strong, and safe? Yeah. So architects, interestingly kind of have to have a little bit of knowledge about everything and there is a long licensure process to ensure that all registered architects do have a little bit of exposure to the engineering process and to you know mechanical specifications like a room has to be a certain size with a certain air conditioner in order to be operational lots of small details which is why I actually pivoted and 
you know, went in another direction because I could not keep track of it all. But some architects and some firms, the architect would be responsible for picking out the material and the wall color. It really just depends on where you are, but it is very different. You know, an architect is very different from a stylist. It's very different from an interior designer. So there is a hard line there that most people don't know about. Oh, interesting. Thank you so much for taking me on yeah. that little education train. <laughs> Hopefully it was helpful. Oh, wait, I haven't thought sure. about it in a while. So. Oh, I mean, it was described as if you teach a architecture 101 class, but <laughs> so it was great. Um, so now I'd love, like you were saying, to transition into what is the difference between, I think you were mentioning architecture versus creative strategy. Is that fair? Yeah. Say? Yeah. So I work now, well, I guess I've been working this whole time in sort of the strategy field. And that is much higher level. I don't want to, I mean, we're sort of the storytellers really that, which I know is a word that is being tossed around a bunch of different ways in a bunch so of different much. industries right now. Yeah. <laughs> I went to South by Southwest uh, the year before yeah. last and I swear 40% of the people I met had in their LinkedIn, like frontline, I'm a storyteller. I'm like, what the, this needs to stop. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm sorry. Anyway. I can't think of another good phrase to replace storyteller but I guess when it comes to strategy you know we the design strategy that I did for the first two years was more workplace focused whereas now I'm focusing focusing very much on real estate and that means working with developers and brokers who own you know all these assets to figure out how much office space do you need how much well usually they already come in with that recipe determined like they're going to have 200,000 square feet of office they're going to have 500 residential units they're going to have a hotel they're going to have two hotels and then at the end of that chain they also need retail because everyone wants retail and so we help figure out how much retail can your site support what kind of retail should you have how many coffee shops should you have what type of coffee shop what type of hotel what is the street in between the hotel and the coffee shop look like and feel like and if i'm you know a 25 year old person walking down the street on a Saturday, what am I going to see? So we help kind of paint that picture for them, making sure that not only it's a great place to be, but that it's also going to make them money. Whoa. So that's how we tell stories. <laughs> that That's legit. You can actually back yeah. up that title 100%. <laughs> that is so cool. So now I imagine this is an answer or a question with a lot of answers, but what are some specialties that architecture students might explore and go into down their career path? Yeah, so I was just outlining some within the realm of architecture, you know, and engineering, what that includes. So we can say that's like capital A architecture, which quite a few people do, I will say, you know, I have plenty of friends that went on to become licensed architects, which if I haven't already mentioned this, there is a process behind actually becoming an architect which takes about three to five years on average. Oh, so dang. if you don't end up going into, the, yeah, <laughs> you have to take six tests. You have to accrue, you know, 5,000, 6,000 hours worth of work. You have to pass all the tests. And a lot of the times, you know, it's expected and normal to need to take a few of them a couple of times. But then some other options are you could go into landscape architecture. You could go into a specialty of architecture. So some people go into workplace or they go into, you know, educational or hospitals or civic, 
you know, there's, I know I already use capital A architecture, but within that realm of discourse, a lot of times capital A architecture is used to talk about like architecture, which is <gasps> the Oculus in New York. And these, you know, there's a, a firm based out of Copenhagen called Big, and they just build these crazy structures that are beautiful, but they, they're functional, but they're also art as well. So there's that world. And then there's also interior architecture and interior design and interior styling. And then there's design and research and consulting, which is what I do. There's commercial real estate and the whole world of real estate, which I know many people that kind of made that pivot, though few went into the strategy world, the real estate strategy world that I did. There's also product strategy and development. And then there's urban planning. And then there's also, I'm sure there's more to this list, but some people also go on to just be writers and researchers. So there's firms like, or publications like Dwell and Metropolis and Arc Daily, and those are also an option. There's also architectural photography, like you go into anything. <laughs> okay, so I feel like you already started to answer this question, but <laughs> I know that you must have a load of ideas about how people, well, I, I guess, yeah, I'll specifically target this towards architecture students or people considering studying architecture, how they could get really creative with that degree. Yeah, well, I will say that in a lot of architecture degrees, your path, this is true in any degree, architecture or not, like your path is going to be fairly determined, and then there will be opportunities to stray from the path. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to know what to stray from when you know, I didn't know I was going to go into strategy after being in architecture school for five years. But I did during my thesis year, you know, I just went for it and studied something totally outside of the box that I didn't realize I'd fall in love with. And that just by that year, that really shaped my course into going into consulting. So I think as long as, you know, if, you're, if you are considering architecture as a degree or you're already in it, just keeping your palette really diverse like expose it to an english class economics urban planning photography like anything that sort of catches your fancy i recommend nurturing it because architects and architecture students i should say architecture students are positioned to be problem solvers because our architects but like you've seen you know they have specialties at the end of the day mm -hmm. so just lean into that love for research and that curiosity if you're interested in moving more into the strategy field because that is what we're looking for not that I'm on the end of hiring but maybe one day soon. <laughs> maybe one day um that's definitely you know if you're hearing this and you are you love architecture but you want to ultimately go into strategy strategy is not a field that has a form especially design strategy it's not something that has a formal educational path but looking for someone that can distill order from chaos. That's often a phrase that I use is mm -hmm. key. So just, just showing that and nurturing it and exploring it in your degree will be helpful. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like you're just highlighting a lesson that anyone can take a page from, which yeah. is realize your transferable skills and sure. have really the boldness to be creative with those as you see fit. 
Um, I think that's just realizing that you don't have to be stuck as if, I don't know, the universe is like chaining you to one thing. Like you have to stay in this. No, you don't. You could do a ton of different things and create something out of nothing like you do over and over again. Um, just by realizing what's the core of my transferable skill here and then communicating that, being creative, probably networking a bit, learning more, keeping your palette open, as you said. Um, yeah. And taking those opportunities that you are like, hey, hello, that's cool. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I guess an important, I mean, I got very lucky in that the firm that I currently work for actually reached out to me because of, I mean, I had been networking with them and yeah, I guess this is important to highlight. Mm -hmm. Um, I had been, we were very familiar with one another, but at that particular time that they reached out, you know, I had just received a, a different opportunity and because of my portfolio and you know the stories I was telling for lack of a better better phrase we could talk about the whole portfolio process for an Mm -hmm. hour probably but that is what like I was highlighting my love for photography I was highlighting my love for strategy and research and graphic design and I just allowed all of that to sort of come up to the surface and be authentic and I mean I don't fully know who I am I should I have not figured it out, but I think of tell us school. how to do it when you figure it out. <laughs> yeah, my job process I've I've always and I've always encouraged my friends, you know, you should be able to look at your resume and your portfolio and your cover letter and feel feel like that I've been using the phrase sometimes champagne in my veins. Like you want to feel that because it's the manifestation of who you are on the inside, but in a you know, two dimensional format and that's really exciting. So you wanna tweak it until it's reaches that point of authenticity and then you're golden because you've done the best you can I love that so much oh my (laughs) gosh seriously okay I'm gonna give you credit every time inevitably I caught that one from you (laughs) that's amazing I stole it from someone else so (laughs) oh my gosh well I'm sure that they stole it from someone else um here we are this is just the world of social media and sharing everything but um yeah I love how you're encouraging others to just go ahead and be bold and bringing yourself to life through something that I think most of us just settle for it being a 2D document. Like, oh, it's just my resume. I have to follow the conventional rules of making it like, I don't know, this is just the cold hard facts and I know what they want to hear. So I'm going to say that. Yeah. Whereas the real opportunities, especially the authentic ones that are such such a fit for you, only come once you're willing to express what that is. So I love that you for your sure. encouragement in that area. So what does the career progression typically look like for someone actually in your specific field now as a design strategist? Yeah. I've been asked this question a few times, and I do think as I was reflecting on this moment. I do think you have to start, it's hard to go right into strategy, honestly. And I started at an architecture firm. I started in design strategy, so I got lucky. But I think there's no harm. And in fact, there's probably a lot of benefit in starting at an architecture firm or starting at a brand firm and or whatever sort of design firm you want to land in. And then you'll see, you need to build that foundation to kind of understand scale of space especially if you want to go into something like real estate strategy, because 
architecture school just doesn't really, it's mostly theoretical, even though you might have some really practical exposure along the way. So it's funny when I do chat with people who are like, I want to go directly into strategy right after school. I just, I don't, I think it's really hard to do. There are a few strategy opportunities are admittedly and sadly currently, hopefully this changes, um, not few and far between, but they're just buried under rocks in various firms. And I hope that that changes because I think the value of one is becoming more and more apparent or the value of a strategist. But until that point, I mean, don't feel discouraged. Just go to an architecture firm, go to a brand firm, go to any sort of design firm that is doing work that you feel impacted by and learn from them and get that firsthand exposure and then see, okay, is strategy something? What of this do I love? And if strategy is the answer, then you can begin to narrow in on what type of strategy you want to do. But it is hard to jump right into it, I will say. Mm. But then after, I guess for, you know, the first three to five years of your career, moving from whatever firm you're in into strategy and beyond, I don't really know what the career path looks like for me and strategy after this point because again there's just not a lot of us but I think quite a few people go on to become creative directors and creative strategists or my boss is the director of real estate he works with kind of our real estate strategy managing principal who oversees all of our real estate projects so there's that but I think a lot of people also go on to manage their own firms or to specialize in a type of strategy. Yeah, I'm sorry I'm giving you a lot of answers. <laughs> no, that's good. But I mean, like it's... strategy in and of itself is such a, it's very, whereas architecture is fairly linear. Like you go into an architecture firm, you get your license, and then you just move up the totem pole of expertise and exposure. Mm -hmm. Strategy is about getting better and better and better at define, distilling order from chaos, as I said earlier. And as you distill, you also learn, you know, what are your pain points and what do you love doing? And then you might pivot and who knows where that pivot could take you. Exactly. Yeah, that seems like the journey for many. I mean, even I interviewed a business strategist um, that works at a large corporate consulting firm. And that's just typically the route with strategy. You could say, I'm a business strategist, I'm a design strategist. But really what that means, I mean, for the business example is um, you might start as an analyst just assigned to whatever, but ultimately you're strategizing and specializing down the road for like HR tech implementation strategy or supply yeah. chain management strategy for aerospace company or suppliers like yeah. you just specialize over time and the nice thing is if you play it right it it can be what aligns with your interests the most hopefully for sure if you have yeah. the agency to do that and the gumption you know um, <laughs> yes grit is my favorite word <laughs> oh it is the word <laughs> i think for many ambitious professional or just yeah. literally any person in the year 2020 <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, so sure. what is your typical day in the life like like your hours and what you spend your time doing and tasks and whatnot yeah so for me I as a real estate and retail strategist depending on the day sometimes I'm a retail strategist sometimes I'm a real estate strategist sometimes I'm kind of a creative strategist I do a little bit of it all but we we work with developers and brokers to we look at their assets 
and we, and I might have already said some of this, but we look at their assets and kind of figure out the master plan for when it, especially when it comes to the retail, what that experience is going to be like. And so that requires knowing how much retail the site can have and what the demand is because everyone wants retail, but not everyone can support having retail. This is also a very different conversation now with COVID. So we're navigating a whole new retail question, you know, coming out of this into the, into the new normal. But in order to answer that question for our clients, I end up working with a lot of different teams. So I coordinate with our research and analysis group who determines market demand. I work with our urban planning group and they're sort of the experts on, you know, the two-dimensional and three-dimensional space, what it feels like. I work with our creative strategy group who does a lot of brand strategy and brand visioning to figure out a lot of the places that you love as a consumer have a very strong brand identity. So they're really the, the force, creative force behind that feeling. And then as retail strategists and as you know, placemakers, we bring all of that together, the digital, the social, the three-dimensional, the services, the materials, all of that into one big deliverable, usually a presentation, always a presentation that captures here are all of the touch points along the way in this place and that also usually comes with an economic analysis so you know deciding what type of retail will, will perform best on this site so that's what we're always working towards on any given day i could be working on a collection of things within that list to coordinate we're sort of steering the ship <laughs> yeah well, create I, really great places. Yeah, that wow. How long are the projects typically? It depends. I'm working on one right now that or a few that are a couple of weeks. Some are three to four months, maybe a little longer. I'm usually working on a handful of projects at one time, but yeah, it's a lot of a lot of cooks in the kitchen. Mm. A lot of burners on my stovetop going at once. <laughs> <laughs> Both in your day job and what you choose to do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey there, if you're listening to this episode right now, it's probably because you're somewhere in the range of mildly curious to hikey desperate to get out of analysis paralysis and into a job that will be an exciting and rewarding fit for you and your unique talents, values, and interests which by the way, I'm here to help you do just that in record time. If we haven't met yet, I'm Kelsey Kemp, a career coach specialized in helping Christians discern their unique calling and practically land a job that pays them to fulfill it so you could have an impactful and meaningful career. Trust me, I get it. Picking a singular career path out of the sea of options, then making a potential industry pivot to get into that line of work can be insanely daunting. That's why I created the Deep Dive Career Coaching Program to walk you through nailing down each step from discerning your calling to finding the exact job title that aligns with it, then getting hired for that position with confidence and speed with me by your side as your personal career concierge from start to finish. 
This two-month one-on-one career coaching program includes individual career coaching sessions with me, the library of guides and workbooks I've created for you to propel you further and faster to your goal between sessions, as well as unlimited support from me in between sessions to help you nail all the practicals like your networking messaging and strategy, your resume, your interviews and negotiations, which will save you a load of time, stress and dead end job applications. If all of that sounds like a dream to you, then I want to formally invite you to apply for my deep dive private career coaching program. Go to my website, kelseykemp.com coaching to learn more and book a free 30 minute consultation with me this week to objectively evaluate if this opportunity is the perfect fit to help you work through your unique challenges and achieve your highest goals so you could fulfill the vision and hopes that God has put on your heart for your career. I only work with people who are ready to go deep, do the work, and actually make a change once the path is made clear to them. So if that sounds like you and you're ready to accelerate your path to building an impactful and meaningful career aligned with who God made you to be and what he put on your heart to do, then go to kelseykemp.com forward slash coaching to learn more and book a free 30-minute consultation with me this week to get started. Okay, now back to the episode. So how much of your job is creating slash producing versus coordinating? Because I know with strategists or consultants of any nature, it could feel like you're collecting emails and getting people together and then just trying to make sense of it all and put it up into a PowerPoint or whatever it is for I'm yeah. Is it even PowerPoint? I'm thinking probably more just business strategy. It's probably some <laughs> very complex tool. <laughs> regular. No, no, <laughs> never mind. Yeah. I have an open PowerPoint and gosh, I cringe when I open PowerPoint. It makes me feel sad. Um, I use Adobe InDesign. That's like our go-to, which is a very robust program that I absolutely yeah. love. I'll probably name my dog InDesign one day. Um, <laughs> wow. I'm glad much you is, love it. <laughs> or Adobe. I think that's what I'll name them. Let's see how much time is spent producing. I, a lot, I would say. I mean, we have a very small team and I am grateful to, I mean, I definitely do a little bit of coordination, but it's all fairly internal like hey I need this thing from you or can you help me with this help me define this idea or help me give shape to something that I'm working on so I'm lucky to be in a position of creating a lot and because we're a small team I think it makes it even easier like I can just for example my boss might say we've got you know the site it is 50,000 square feet of retail it's by the water here's the context we're gonna have like, here are some challenges with the site. Here are some opportunities. Go ahead and get started. And so then I will then take that and start to build out, you know, a 100-page report, essentially, that oh. captures not only what we know and what we're informed by, but as well as our direction. And my favorite part is actually, I don't think this is a part of the question, but we get to, you know, when it comes to retail, there are various use types, like you have food and beverage, but that also includes full service dining and limited service dining. For retail, you have, you know, a stationary shop, you have apparel, you have women's and men's apparel, you have all these different types. And so we, depending on the project, get to define, do sort of these mood board pages for each one. And that will shift dramatically based on your target audience, what market you're in, 
So those are a lot of fun to build because then I'm getting to research, you know, who are the cool tenants in the market? I don't know where, where you're calling in from, but like in DC, we get to, yeah. So in Austin, like I would get to go look and see what's the coolest taco shop. Like, should they have a location here or does it not make sense for them to have a location here? So I get to help with that too. That is a lot of creating for sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm, sure that's rewarding because I was kind of like oh you know in in my mind just like in the back of my mind I was thinking oh man it kind of sucks to just be coordinating all the time which as oh yeah just like in it in many genres of consulting of different nature you just have to do that so that's really awesome that you're able to be in a role where you're leading with a lot of creativity and producing actual work not just collecting hurting the sheep and <laughs> whatever yeah and there's definitely some of that. I won't lie. Um, I think that was actually one of the questions. Like, what's the least glamorous part? <laughs> yeah. Like, that definitely can happen. I mean, we'll get to that later. But, um, yeah, for the most part, it's it's a very inspiring role to be in. Yeah. So, I mean, before I, I want to just jump right into what are the highs and the lows, like what you love and what if yeah. it is, you know, it's a little bit less glamorous. But I'm always curious about... Um, what your general hours are like it it seems like a pretty intense profession just from maybe that's a misconception I don't know so what are they consulting is fairly so I'm very lucky I hope my boss listens to this I have a great boss and he is (laughs) just like the leader that I hope that I can be I hope I can be half as great as as him one day he's also Canadian which I think is a big piece to choose it I've found that many (laughs) Canadian leaders are um, they just have a great management style. So I work a pretty steady nine to six, I'd say. Um, so not a, I'm not really a, a morning gal. So I start at nine and I wrap up at six every day. Never work weekends. If I do, it's like right before a huge deadline. Um, rarely, rarely work evenings. But I think a lot of that is just because we have a super small team and we're able to really stay on top of what projects we're taking in and but I'm very grateful for the work-life balance. I think that's actually why I'm able to have as many little side gigs as I do. And in fact, my, my boss and his boss, Jeff, are super just, I mean, that, they know that that's a big part of my life and that that makes me a better performer at work as well to be spending time doing some of those things. So I feel very blessed for sure. I'm always glad to hear it when someone could have uh, a rigorous, um, meaningful job, like high level yeah. stuff, whether that's like corporate or some other area, but still have reasonable management that says, that, no, we don't need to yeah. always be overloading our employees. So that's really cool. For sure. Well, even to the point too, I think it's important to outline because I definitely look at my boss and think, you know, what management tactics am I going to take moving forward with people that I manage and something as detailed as you know, you might consistently work from nine to six, but if you need to take off at three on a Wednesday to get ready for a podcast recording, like I trust that you will do the work that needs to be done at the time that is right for you. Like I've wrapped up presentations at 10 o'clock at night, but that's because I took off at six to go on a run, make dinner and, you know, take a break. And he has demonstrated that leaning into honoring people's needs results in higher quality work so and, and loyalty just, which is important in a team so 
Yeah. I mean, it really changes someone to feel like they're actually trusted. Gives a lot yeah. of dignity to the person, doesn't yeah. it? <laughs> um, so I guess now is the perfect time to go into that, like highs and lows of yeah. what you love about your job and what's a little less glamorous. Yeah. So one thing I love about my job is, this will sound so silly, but I spend a lot of time on Pinterest, which is my truly my happy place. So I was going to ask. Always... <laughs> when you said mood board, I was like, mm, Pinterest. <laughs> yeah, I'm on Pinterest a lot. Um, I, but what I love about it is not, I mean, Pinterest itself is a great platform. And I've really learned how to use it as a search tool, not just a you know steady stream of beautiful images. But our job requires us to always know what's the coolest pizza shop what's the coolest thing in direct-to-consumer retail? Like we spend a lot of time thinking about the future and sometimes it's called future forecasting. Like we have space for trends in our deliverables as well. So we have to show that we're really informed about those things. And so I spend a lot of time on Pinterest looking at like beautiful restaurants and beautiful retail stores and learning the stories of creatives that opened up brick and mortars in Austin. And I love that. And then all of that actually gets logged into a little database that I created where we can easily search as a team. Are we looking for a hotel focused on health and wellness? And we can sort through, you know, hundreds of records to figure out what are the few different cases that are doing that really well. And then that also has a photo library component where I've, you know, you can search the database for an example, but you can also search the photo library if someone's looking for 10 different stationary shop photos, I can quickly search it and send them 10. So I've really enjoyed Whoa. doing that. Yeah. Pinterest Dang. is great. I don't have too much time on Pinterest. <laughs> and then, yeah, and there's just all these beautiful like outdoor spaces. And I think the other, the last thing I'll say about the glamorous part of the job is that because I spend so much time in sort of in, in wearing many different hats during the workday, it makes it it makes the transition from like professional to personal from, you know, my day job to my side hustle really seamless because I might, as I'm building out a retail strategy deliverable, might also be seeing, you know, a brand designer that I want to talk about on my blog or a new product that I want to try to do a photography collaboration with. So it's fun to, I just feel really balanced in that way. In terms of less than glamorous, Hmm. I do think that, I mean, there is definitely a coordination component that comes and, you know, you're working with a bunch of different people who also have different expectations placed on them. Our strategy team, again, is just me. It's just me and my boss. I don't think I've said that yet. So it's me, Mike, and Jeff. Um, Jeff's been there for a long time and Mike's been there for about seven years. I've been there for a year. But then outside of us, you know, the people that we're asking to coordinate with for these deliverables, they have different expectations, different deadlines, and navigating that can be tough at times. And I think also it's important to say that I'm still very new to the professional world, so I'm still learning even, I mean, I don't know how to manage. I don't always know, you know, when you're in school, you're used to just kind of going after, like, it's very, you don't really learn how to be a team player and whatever you want to happen, you can just like pursue and go yeah. after it. So 
navigating getting what you need from others is like definitely something I'm learning about right now. Yeah. And, and it's a challenge. <laughs> so what type of person do you think would be a great fit for a career in this realm of design strategy or architecture even? Yeah. Yeah. So I can kind of speak to both because as you've seen, they're, they're a little bit different, but they're definitely related. So I think for architecture, you know, the projects are much longer term. You asked how long the typical project is for me. It can be between two weeks and two months on average. For architecture, it's usually like a year to a few years. I mean, some people spend years and years working on the same project if you're kind of in a master planning group. So I think having an eye for detail is important for both, but having endurance um, is and just being able to work on the same thing every day for a long period of time or a few things every day for a long period of time. It's more of an architecture fit for strategy. I think the ability, as I've said quite a few times to distill order from chaos is critical knowing that you can wear multiple hats and kind of swap between them very rapidly and quickly is key. And I think just having an, a genuine interest and passion for a couple different verticals like for me I love as you learned about with my dinner party yeah passion you know I love places I love experience I love walking into a beautiful retail store and taking a picture of it because they've done a really great job of their visual merchandising so whatever those passions are for you within the design world being able to speak those different languages I think is for strategy whereas for architecture you can kind of learn you still need to learn how to you need to be able to understand them and you need to be able to speak them but it's you're not navigating that pool constantly you're kind of able to tackle a project for a long period of time so yeah I think multitaskers are great strategists I don't want to be quoted on that one but um, <laughs> yeah being organized but also being comfortable with the messy too, I think is key for strategy. And we sometimes have to back ourselves up if we have a big, if we're asking a question like, what is this place supposed to be? Like, what is it, when someone talks about it, what are they gonna say? Mm -hmm. That's a question that takes iteration and that takes sitting in a big group and getting really messy and talking about brand and talking about language and talking about place and talking about texture and materiality and retail and all of these things. So to be comfortable in that chaos as well yeah well I'm starting to guess that educational and experiential qualifications for getting into architecture in general you mentioned a bit of it like undergrad I'm assuming and then this long certification or what do you yeah I'll leave yeah, that up so to you for, to describe it <laughs> yeah quite the process um for architecture itself you do in order to become an architect with a capital A, you have to have an accredited degree, which means you have to go to a specific program at specific schools and pursue very specific coursework before you can even take the test and accrue the hours that you need to become one. Sometimes you can do, and a lot of the times you can get that degree as an undergrad. So it's not just for graduate students, like I got it as an undergrad. There's various different versions of what that degree looks like. I got lucky and I walked away with a bachelor's and a master's of architecture. What? So I got a, but they've since gotten rid of this program. 
but I just walked away with a master's as a bargain, which was great. Now I did do a thesis and that thesis is what kind of reset my North star for what I wanted to do. But a lot of the times another track that people will take for architecture is they might go to school for interior design or they might go to school for graphic design or who knows, you go for whatever for undergrad. English, I've met urban planning students and then they end up going back to graduate school for architecture. And I think that, you know, both paths are great. I think that if you're listening to this and you're a high schooler wondering if you really want to be an architect, maybe go somewhere where you can major in a couple of things and like not have to commit just to architecture because it is a very rigorous program and a very rigorous profession to enter into. Nine times out of 10, you're gonna have to go back to graduate school anyways. That's kind of just the standard now. It might be best to go back to graduate school when you know you wanna be an architect and you know you wanna open your own business or go into an architecture firm then but I don't know, I could, I could also say the same for, I would be just as passionate about saying getting an undergraduate architecture degree is one of the best degrees that you could get because of how it shapes you to be a problem solver. So Very I don't wanna be tied to either one. <laughs> You're yeah, like, even you in my answer, I have multiple burners. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but once you graduate, if, if you do get an accredited architecture degree and you do go work at an architecture firm, you, start a firm, you start taking your test, you start accruing your hours, you pass your test, and then you're an architect, and then you, you're on your way. <laughs> you are <laughs> on your way after quite a roundabout. Yeah. <laughs> Gosh. Well, it's just as much time as med school, but you get paid a sixth or an eighth <gasps> or a tenth, depending on who you talk to. No. Wait, yeah. what? Okay, I have no idea what the reality of that is. Can you kind of speak to the general salary range of someone? Yes. In, and like, is there even a payoff? Or is it one of those <laughs> uh, that you just are in debt from school forever? <laughs> I know it's not like medical school and law school where you're in debt forever. I mean, I was very, very lucky. My mom will be very appreciative that I mentioned this to walk away with walk away debt free that is such a gift yeah it was a huge gift especially because I walked away with a master's degree as well so I'm very lucky in that but I would say architecture in general is not a high-paying profession consulting is so that Mm -hmm. is a catch as well um definitely a, a benefit to pivoting from design into strategy but yeah the typical salary range I mean I again I started in strategy at an architecture firm I don't feel so bad saying a number, but I think most architects start below, start around like 45 to 55, depending on the market. It's not lower. So many qualifications and for being so specialized. Man, I want to look into why that is. That's so interesting. And I think you kind of cap out at like, again, this is just a journalization around at at a big architecture firm after 10 or 15 years of experience, maybe between. 100 and 120 but yeah it's not and again it's a pretty linear thing so Uh you might have to be at that firm for 30 years before you're closer to 200 I know I'm getting into a lot of details here but no I appreciate it I typically don't ask about it but I think for a profession that it seems like there's a hint of 
high investment, high specialization, potentially high stress, depending on what we're talking about versus payoff. I think someone would want to be educated on that before pursuing it further. So I appreciate you speaking to that for sure. For anyone who has gotten towards the end of this interview and is thinking, I'm definitely interested in pursuing this further. What would you suggest to someone wanting to get their foot in the door specifically to, let's say, your strategy type role? Yeah. Yeah. So with strategy, I mean, it's so hard to talk about the hiring process right now because the reality is so tough. Yeah. Which I just feel for. Like, it makes my heart ache. But I think having, like I've said, kind of a variety of experiences and being able to speak to, first, I want to know that you're a people person, because I think people that like to talk about, people that are, you know, have their side hustles and can kind of navigate all these different spaces are just passionate about the world and passionate about people and people Mm -hmm. stories and place stories. I would say one place that people don't often think to look is like Airbnb, because let's think back six months ago, because I know businesses right now are just going under a a ton of change, but Airbnb or Ikea, actually, like they have an entire design and research lab called Space 10. And all they do is research like new, what does autonomous vehicle dining look like in five years? And so a lot of firms like Walmart has that. They have a store incubator that just does store research. Airbnb has that. It's called Samara. They might have since like close that offering but there are a ton of different strategy needs at the brands that you love that sounds like an ad but it's true and so even if you whether you're at an architecture firm already and you're looking to transition into strategy or you're in school and you're trying to figure out what you want your stuff to be afterwards I think look at the brands and the firms that are doing work that you're really passionate about start digging around and look outside of the formal architecture ask because what I do is more of a consulting thing my design background serves me well and I use it every day but that means I'm not going to find a job like in the architecture world I'm only going to find interior architect senior architect that sort of thing so the job is definitely hidden um, but there's certainly a need for it and it might just have a job title that you wouldn't expect Mm. Yeah, I don't know if that answers the question. No, it does. I think that you're highlighting the reality that um, most people get just pretty generic jobs that, sorry, I don't mean for that to sound, uh, I mean for that to be just completely objective, like very clear search terms um, and it's clear cut. Most people are aware of it, but there's so much reward for those that do the digging through networking, which is I'm sure the key here, you doing your research on your own to figure out exactly what you were saying. What am I super fascinated by? What are companies that align with something I'm very passionate about? Then starting to get to know people in those spheres or specifically in those companies, they are the ones that maybe it's even another step away. Know someone who you should talk to. And maybe that person knows 
oh, I think that we have that department and they call their job this. And then that's the only way that you're going to find out how the heck to find that position, but it surely does exist. And then I've worked with people and also interviewed friends who this kind of phenomenon has happened to where they're actually able to co-create their position with an employer. Um, Yeah like a potential employer, not someone they're currently employed by, that wow. they've just built such rapport that um, they, the company knows for sure, I see this person's value add, I see their passion for working with my company. And it sounds like it's too good to be true, but they actually get to the point where they've built such trust, where they collaborate on creating an opportunity. And oftentimes mm-hmm. it ends up in this kind of flexible, creative agency strategy type of position. And so maybe yeah. that's something that's kind of complementary to the wisdom that you're sharing on this and how someone can get their foot in the door. Just keep digging. Yeah. Keep having conversations. <laughs> well, I will say real quick that I, and I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but I reached out to the firm that I'm currently at via LinkedIn premium message. I downloaded those 15 free days because the person that had the role that I wanted to talk to, she was in creative strategy or senior creative strategist. That was the only way I could reach her. And then I ended up interviewing with their team and then I did withdraw my application. And then I got a call two weeks later from this other team, the team that I now work on, Mike, just asking if I would be willing to connect for coffee. And only when I met him for coffee was I like, that is the job that I didn't even know I was looking for. So, but that all came from, and it was, I think it's a rare, not rare, but like, I haven't heard many other people that share that story, but I do think, I mean, even Instagram is like a huge networking tool for me. I am as a side hustle networking tool, like always reaching out to people to do collaborations or to ask them about a product and those friendships, you never know what they're going to turn into. Like you might do some product photography for someone who ultimately is looking for a product strategist. So, or maybe they'll get a, what did you call it? Mini money? <laughs> yeah, maybe, they, maybe they're getting married. Who knows? <laughs> maybe they're like, I yeah. want it downsized. Let's do that. Will you help me? <laughs> you just <Yeah>. seriously <laughs> never know how that's going to come around. Well, I'm really grateful you shared your story in that. That's that is such an inspiring example. And just, it's perfect to show. Yeah. yeah. It getting a job most definitely does not mean one thing, which most people think it means getting on LinkedIn or indeed searching a job posting and then joining the 200 other people that have pounced on that. (laughs) Nope. There are definitely more effective, even more fun ways that you could differentiate yourself just by connecting with people. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Highly recommend DMing the person that has the job that you want. Yes. Oh my (laughs) gosh. I... I support this message 100%. So this is my last question that I've just been chomping at the bit to ask you. Where do you okay. see yourself in 15 to 20 years? Because I'm sure it's somewhere very interesting. <laughs> I was excited to answer this. Honestly, okay, I will. I must give a shout out. Anyone who knows me and is listening to this is probably waiting for this moment. I am obsessed with Joanna Gaines. And I just <laughs> want to be the next version my own version, of course, but I, I would love to just have a massive farmhouse somewhere in Virginia mm. where I am running. It's funny that I say this because I'm doing real estate strategy right now, but so much of the real estate strategy ask is just placemaking and like making places that people love. 
so I'd love to have an interior, this is the current dream, love to have an interior design and styling studio. We would also do event planning, of course. Of course. We'd have a cafe and an event, like a gorgeous event space. And then there would be a letterpress studio because I love, I do lettering and calligraphy. I don't know if I mentioned that. I think that's, yeah, um, didn't mention that. We'd do that. <laughs> we'd have a beautiful greenhouse. And you could take, you know, gardening classes and we'd have, you know, cut flowers and supply flowers to all the local cafes. I think that captures everything. There'd be a big dog, uh, hopefully four little kids running around because I'm an only child. (laughs) And, but yeah, I think at the root of that, it's just like I, and Arianne said this when she introduced me to you, I just love to create delight using place and space and materials and like all the things that go into that puzzle and so I just want to keep chasing that from my farm which also will have a vineyard hopefully (laughs) okay um so are you accepting applications for like full-time squatters on this because I would love to live (laughs) there will be a B&B as well you know hospitality is a big part of my life (laughs) obviously oh my gosh I'm so obsessed with how detailed this vision is you're like there will be a dog what kind of dog by the way just a big one I want well you know those golden retrievers that have like the (laughs) copper fur yeah so they're not really golden but they're like bronzy and their hair is longer so it sort of like swooshes in the wind I want one of those I (laughs) knew you would have a very specific answer that is incredible okay well I have one more question if and they should listeners want to keep up with you and all the dishes you have on all the burners in your industrial kitchen that is your mind how do they keep up with you? Where they, where can they reach out? I am most easily found at the Tangled Tomato on Instagram, the Tangled Tomato. I also have a blog, thetangledtomato.com. You can find me on Pinterest at the Tangled Tomato. It would also probably be funny and relevant to say why I'm the Tangled Tomato. We can I find a place for that. this. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I actually, I've spent a little bit of time. I was a raft guide in North Carolina for two summers, but around that, I also did some little stints on farms in Washington and in South Carolina. And when I was in South Carolina, I loved tomatoes. And this was, this was probably seven years ago. And I was looking at like, what could blog name be? And I could not decide what I wanted the blog to be about. And everyone's always telling you like, pick a niche and pursue it. And I just could not. And I couldn't today either you know, leaning into my multi-hyphenate identity, which is what I feel today. And I felt then the tangled tomato was born as sort of a solution to that. So learning how to live in the complexity and to give myself grace in it and to know that that's how I was made. So. Oh my gosh. I really feel like I need a follow-up to this episode in which you go like full on sermon Ted talk and just like <laughs> unwind your deepest thoughts. I'm feeling like that's potentially in the future. Maybe once I go dreams. through through them in my own head first. <laughs> oh, feel free to just process and let them unfold as it happens in real time. <laughs> I will pay to hear it. Um, <laughs> but oh my gosh, Chesley, thank you so, so much for sharing all that you have. Um, and giving us a piece of your imagination too that has been so vivid and fun to experience throughout all your answers as well so thank you so much for your example and your help thank you thanks for having me this was a ton of fun 
If anything about the career path featured in this episode piqued your interest, don't stop here. Take what you've learned, critically examine any follow-up questions you might have, and network to your heart's content to get the answers that you'd like, as well as make meaningful contacts with professionals in that industry that might be able to help you get your foot in the door. If you have a friend who would love all the detailed insider info shared in this episode, don't forget to pass this episode along to them so we could create a network of people who are empowered with the information they need to confidently make satisfying career decisions that allow them to serve in the station in society they were meant for. Thank you to everyone who has supported this labor of love known as the job library by leaving a rating and a written review of this podcast. It sincerely makes all the difference to a budding podcast like this one. If you'd like to support the show, just join in by tapping the stars to leave a really quick rating and better yet, write a few words to leave a written review and subscribe. I hope you enjoy the other bingeable episodes now available to you in the Job Library series and tune in next Tuesday for a fresh batch of interviews with professionals in fascinating, unique, and influential positions. See you soon.